Back in the day when my girls were born, it was not easy to share photos and videos with loved ones, but you have a fantastic option available, the Family Album app. The Family Album app was created in 2015 and has operated in the long term to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with loved ones. It's a totally secure personal haven for your family's memories. I love that there's no third-party ads, no unwanted eyes. Now, let me share some of the great features that make the Family Album app a go-to app. First off, the app automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and see how your child has grown. No more scrolling through endless feeds or searching through folders. Another cool feature about the Family Album app is you can order eight free photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. It's really nice to have some tangible pictures to hold onto or share to document each month of your baby's life. Plus, the Family Album app has unlimited storage and it is totally free. Yes, you heard that right. No more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by ads when you're just trying to relive those heartwarming moments. So if you are still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, it is time to level up your family photo game with a free photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, it's all one word, download the app and start creating a legacy of love one photo at a time. Don't let diaper rash come between you and your baby. Diaper rash can be one of the worst experiences your little one has to go through and keeping their delicate skin happy and healthy shouldn't require a spatula to apply thick, goopy treatments that can be just as irritating and uncomfortable as the diaper rash. Instead, try Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician approved skin protectant free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide. It was developed by a mom who is also a doctor when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash. Use just a small amount of Dr. Mom Butt Balm to help soothe your baby's skin and feel good about making the right choice. Nothing comes between you and your baby, not even diaper rash. Check out Dr. Mom Butt Balm, available on Amazon or walmart.com. This is a birth story episode where Caitlin shares her experience having a baby with a congenital condition called cleft lip and palate. Welcome to the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. If you're having a baby in the hospital, you are giving birth in a system that too often takes away power from women over what happens in their own bodies. I'm Dr. Nicole Calloway-Rankins, a practicing board-certified OBGYN who's had the privilege of helping well over a thousand babies into this world. I've been a doctor for over 20 years, and I'm here to help you take back your power, advocate for yourself, and have the beautiful pregnancy and birth that you deserve. This podcast is for educational purposes only, and it's not a substitute for medical advice. Check out the full disclaimer at drnicolerankins.com forward slash disclaimer. Now let's get to it. Hello there. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. This is episode number 246. Whether this is your first time listening or you've listened before, thank you so much for spending some time with me today. In today's episode, we have Caitlin. Caitlin is originally from Long Island, New York, but she has spent the majority of her life in Tampa, Florida. 
She has a master's degree in criminal justice and a background in law enforcement. She works full-time and is a full-time mom to her sweet daughter, Charlotte. She has been with her husband, Peter, for five years, married for the last two. Caitlin reached out because she wanted to share her story about cleft lip and palate because she hadn't heard it on the podcast before, which is true, despite it being relatively common, which is also true. She wanted women to not feel devastated and be able to remain positive should they get an unexpected and scary diagnosis in pregnancy. And she wanted other women to know they are not alone if this happens to them. So what is cleft lip and palate? Cleft lip and palate are congenital conditions that occur during fetal development when there is an incomplete closure of the lip and or the palate. The palate is the roof of the mouth. And these conditions result in a gap or an opening in the affected areas. So this gap can range from a small notch to a more extensive opening that actually may extend up into the nose. These conditions can occur separately. You can have an isolated cleft lip or isolated cleft palate, or they may occur together. We don't know exactly what causes cleft lip and palate, but it happens roughly in the United States about one in 1600 to one in 2500 live births. So it is actually very, very common. So in this episode, we're going to get into Caitlin's birth story and her experience with this including how she found out about the cleft lip and palate. It was actually pretty terrible. The way she describes it is just, it was just terrible. We also talk about what things were done to help her prepare for having a baby with a cleft lip and palate. Of course, what her labor and birth were like, and then what things were like postpartum. Her daughter had to have multiple surgeries, has had to have multiple surgeries in order to correct the cleft lip and palate. Spoiler alert, she's doing very well today, but we're going to hear all of that in the episode. Now, before we get into the episode, please do check out my free birth plan class, Make a Birth Plan the Right Way. A birth plan is so important to help you have the birth that you want, to help you know that your doctor and hospital are on your side for the things that you want for your birth. Check out the free birth plan class at drnicolerankins.com forward slash birth plan. It gives you questions to ask, a workbook you can go through. So you can really think about the things that are important for you and then set yourself up for success to get that. Again, that's drnicolerankins.com forward slash birth plan class is totally free. Go check that out. All right, let's get into this birth story episode with Caitlin. Well, thank you so much, Caitlin, for agreeing to come onto the podcast. I'm really excited that you reached out because you are going to talk about something that is really actually pretty common, but I actually have not touched upon on the podcast. So I appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So why don't you start off by telling us a bit about yourself and your family? Sure. I'm originally from Long Island, New York, but I've lived in the Tampa, Florida area for 20 years. So basically the majority of my life, um, (laughs) I uh, have a master's degree in criminal justice from Florida State University, but I am a diehard Gator. I went to University of Florida for undergrad. And then it just, you know, just so happened that Florida State had a better program for my grad school, what I wanted to pursue. Um, I have been working in operations and security for a company for uh, a little over four years now. And I've been with my husband, Peter, for five years, married for the last two, and we have a 10-month-old Charlotte. Okay. All right. All right. I love the name Charlotte. That's a pretty name. Thank you. 
So what? let's start off by talking about, and actually in this case, a lot of times I want folks to talk about the birth, but this is a little bit more than that. This is about mm-hmm. your prenatal experience and the birth itself actually was pretty straightforward, it seemed, with some of the other things that went with it. So let's just go ahead and hop into it and start off with what was your pregnancy and prenatal care like? Did you see a, a doctor, a midwife? How'd you feel about the care you received? That kind of thing. Well, my pregnancy itself was pretty smooth up until the diagnosis, which we'll get into. But I know a lot of women are going to hate me for saying this, but I had virtually no morning sickness. Mm. I can't remember feeling nauseous at all whatsoever. In fact, I didn't really have any true symptoms of pregnancy. I didn't really feel any different. That's why I was almost concerned that, you know, is something wrong? Because I felt like I was supposed to be feeling some type of way. Right. Um, and so I actually didn't tell my immediate family that I was even pregnant until about 10 weeks or so. And when I had, had a couple of ultrasounds to make sure that I truly was pregnant, right. just because I really felt fine, a little bit of fatigue in the first trimester, but otherwise very straightforward and smooth. So it agreed with me. Okay. Um, and then in terms of my prenatal care, I did see an OB group, I had a couple of doctors that I really liked, even some nurse practitioners that I saw that were super sweet. Obviously, they weren't going to deliver my baby, but they were great to see. Um, And then a couple of just not so great experiences. I had a couple of doctors where I just truly felt like it was just a poor experience, especially the doctor who delivered the news that this was even a possibility and a suspicion that they had. So, mm -hmm, unfortunately. Okay, well, let's let's just get into that then. So you said at your 20-week ultrasound, something was discovered. So what was it? And tell us about that experience. Yeah, so at my 20-week anatomy scan, just my regular routine anatomy scan, they came in and they just ripped it off like a Band-Aid. You know, we have concerns that your baby may have cleft lip and palate. And I remember just feeling like a thunderbolt out of the blue, Mm. Um, just completely devastated, shocked, confused, scared. And basically, the doctor who delivered the news went on to say, you know, this is pretty rare. I've only seen this a couple of times. And you may notice some feeding difficulties. Your baby may need a feeding tube. Just all this really scary stuff right from the get-go. Again, this hasn't even been confirmed. It's just a suspicion, but just already kind of laying into me like, you're going to be seeing this kind of thing. And she actually at one point said, I really hope it's not that. Like it was the worst thing in the world, a terminal diagnosis, my baby wasn't going to make it, something like that, when it's just, you know, a pretty, some like, I mean, not terribly uncommon birth defect, Um, obviously very serious. But then she went on and told me a story where I delivered a baby that had this and she told the story basically it sounded like two hillbillies and inbreeding almost a joke. It was really, really horrible. It was terribly unprofessional. It was so insensitive and I'll never forget it. I mean, that really stuck with me because I think she was just taken aback. Like, how do I break this news? And she tried to almost make a joke or make light of it, but it actually just was completely tone deaf and extremely difficult for me to hear. Oh my God. Y'all can't see my face, but my mouth has been wide open while she's been talking. That is awful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when I tell you I had a poor experience with one of the doctors, yes, I'll never forget that. Oh my gosh. Okay. I I don't even know what, okay. I don't even know where to start with this. So this was the same time that you, that it was brought Mm -hmm. up as a suspicion. Yes. Yes. And she goes through. In the same visit. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then. Okay. Just, oh my God. I don't, was she younger? Was she? No, I mean, she had been in practice. I believe she said 
at least 20 years she's been doing this because she basically said I've delivered two babies with this condition in my 20 plus years. I can't remember the exact number, but no, she's been in practice for a while. I think she just didn't know what to say and tried to make like it. She tried to tell like what she felt like was a funny story, but it wasn't funny at all. At all. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, well, I guess I should say, did you even know what cleft lip and palate was? No. And I'll get into that. So I didn't really know what it was at all. I mean, I, I had a general idea. I feel like everyone might know somebody, whether in their grade school class or that had it, whether they had a little bit of a scar, you could tell on their upper lip, like Mm -hmm. maybe they had it. Um, I feel like everybody knows someone. So I had a general idea, but I really didn't know too much about it. And she didn't really bother to explain it. At that point, I didn't really get more concrete information until I saw a maternal fetal medicine specialist. And so that was the next step. They referred me to an MFN specialist who could do a 3D ultrasound and confirm. So they actually did a 3D ultrasound of the face and they confirmed that, yes, my daughter was going to have this. And again, I don't think I knew her gender at this point but my baby was going to have this cleft lip and palate. And how it was explained to me was they said that in utero, the face forms, it's pretty early on. I believe it's in the first 10 weeks. I can't Mm -hmm. remember exactly when, but the way they described it was two halves of the face come together Mm -hmm. and basically something went wrong. It didn't fuse together right and it left an open cavity. And the way they described it was they told me it's not your fault. This just happens. And for somebody who's extremely type A, you know, (laughs) very a control freak said, how can this just happen? She was planned. I was on prenatals for months. I Mm -hmm. didn't touch a drop of alcohol while trying. I did everything right. I checked all the boxes, the guilt that what did I do trying to think back? What could I have done? And they basically just said, look, it's not you. This just happens. Right. And nobody really knows why. Right, right. I'm just still like, that's that very basic explanation of the fit. That's we all learn that. So it's just mortifying that the first doctor didn't tell you that. Was your um, husband with you at the time? He was. And thank God for that, because he was just, you know, my beacon of strength because I held it together until I walked out of the office and then I just fell apart, just hysterically crying, processing that. And he just held me and said it would be okay. And he was just very optimistic about the whole thing. And he remained that way through the whole, you know, he he is my rock. But yeah, it was great to have him there for support. That's wonderful. And then how how much time passed in between that visit and when you saw um, MFM? Oh, gosh, I want to say at least a month or two. It wasn't right away. Um, It was, I mean, relatively quick, relatively quick, but it wasn't, you know, immediately after there was a wait period where I was just processing. And I said, you know what, there's a chance it's not that because I'll go back and say that the reason they suspected it is they saw the faintest shadow on the upper lip during the anatomy scan, which I thought that was great technology that they were able to pick that up. And I am very thankful that they caught it when they did, because that allowed me to prepare. Sure. Sure. Okay. So... I mean, yes, it was a month, but a month is going can feel like oh yeah, <laughs> forever when you're trying to under you know get a diagnosis about something. Like, what were you doing in that period of time? Oh, everything. So I was researching. I was trying to learn as much as I could about it. I basically just operated like, yes, this is happening. Right. Like, it'll be great news if it's not that. But let me just go ahead and assume that it that my baby will have this condition that I really don't know a whole lot about. So. I did do some research. I actually reached out to someone, an acquaintance that I knew from high school, a Facebook friend. And the reason that I reached out to her is because she was very vocal about her child 
who had, I think was born about a year or two prior uh -huh. having this condition. Okay. So I knew somebody personally who just had a baby with this condition. Right. And I reached out to her and she posted pictures before the surgery. She was very open about her baby. And so I reached out and she was just a big support for me through mm. this and said, you know, this is suspected. What do I do? And so she was great. And then I also did research into surgeons and everything. And I think I really got more into that once it was confirmed after seeing the MFM specialist, then I actually did go ahead and, um, and meet with a surgeon who was gotcha. excellent. Gotcha. So then what did, how did you feel then after the, the, when you met with the MFM specialist, did you feel better? Did you feel like, what were your thoughts then? Yes. Um, I, I mean, it, well, it's hard because on the one hand, part of me was still holding out hope that, mm -hmm. you know, she wasn't going to have that. Right. And, you know, it, but then it was like, okay, this is confirmed, but it gave me like, at least it wasn't necessarily an unknown. Sure. I knew that she was going to have this condition. Now, for those who don't know, there are multiple types, right? There's bilateral, which is two sides of the mouth. There's unilateral one side. I think they said the left side is more common. My daughter had a right unilateral. So hers was on her right side. It can be the lip, it can be the palate, it can be both. So my daughter's is both. It extends from her lip through her gum line all the way back through her palate. So the roof of her mouth was just a complete open cavity. Now they couldn't tell the extent of that on ultrasound. Mm -hmm. So in a sense that there was still an element of unknown, like, yes, she's going to see it. We see that there, it's on the right side, but we don't know how far into the palate it goes. It looked like it was going to touch the palate, but they couldn't give me real answers on that. It was more of a wait and see when she's born. Right. And I had to find peace with that. And that was hard. Yeah. 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 That can, that, that can be hard. My, my daughter had an intestinal malformation that was diagnosed on ultrasound and it's very like, well, this is kind of what we think might happen. And you just have to wait and kind of see how things go. Mm -hmm. So I it's totally hard. understand that. Yeah. So then did the MFM specialist then connect you with a surgeon? Like how did that process work from there? So they did give me a name for a surgeon. I actually ended up going with someone that my mom works at a surgery center. And okay. so she had colleagues who recommended someone that was like, well known in this area in this particular field. Uh -huh. And it's funny, because without even knowing it, that other friend of mine had also used that same doctor uh, for her baby. Okay. So and he was just excellent. He had traveled to third world countries to repair faces of children who had never gotten the procedure done. Uh -huh. So they were like six, seven, eight years old, right. and they had never gotten it and just doing work uh, to help them. So he was very experienced. He'd been doing it for years. And it was just a night and day difference with how he treated me. Okay just immediately saying this isn't your fault, she's going to be okay, and just very kind and, and telling me exactly what to expect. And I met with him while I was still pregnant. So that was great. Um, and then obviously, he even came to the hospital when my baby was born to take a look at her too. Okay, that makes that just makes such a big, a big difference. And um, it's great that you were able to connect with someone who you felt like was really there to support you and, and help educate you and help get through things. Yeah. So then did they tell you then that, did it change where you would have to deliver, like where you would have to get birth? No. So he had privileges there and he had, so he worked closely with that hospital. Okay. So no, okay. no, it worked out. Okay. Cause some, in some instances, if it's like a, depending, depending on the area, they, there may not be pediatric oral surgeons who could fix it. So that's great that you didn't have to change or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So then what was the remainder of like your prenatal care like? 
So basically, it was just like, at that point, it was just smooth. I got more into like, what, well, what do I want to do for my actual birth? Mm-hmm. So there were certain things that I wanted, I, I kind of wanted an unmedicated birth, but I wasn't like 100% into it, I said, you know what, if I need to get an epidural, it's not the end of the world. Like, let me just try. And the reason I was even considering it is I have a family history of very quick labor. So as again, as I progressed at this point, I want to say I was maybe around six or seven months when I trying to think of exactly when I got the news. And um, so it was again, yeah, at this point, it was approaching the tail end of my pregnancy. So Uh now I really started focusing on the natural birth. Gotcha. And so yeah, just going into that. Let me prepare. Let me figure out how to breathe and all of that. Okay. 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 Did you do any childbirth education or what did you do? So anyone who knows me knows that I'm a reader. I'm a bookworm. Mm -hmm. I'm in a ladies book club in my neighborhood. (laughs) I have a stack of like four books on my nightstand at any given time. And so I read probably close to 10 books on the subject. And then I listened to podcasts. Yours was the main one that okay. I listened to. I actually was referred like a friend showed me your podcast and I went back to episode one and oh. binged every single oh. episode. <laughs> so yes, I already feel like I'm talking to an old friend just I because I know it. your voice so well. <laughs> <laughs> love it, love it, love it. And I love the fact that you also like, you know, you like to read books also. So you like, you you read books. Like you, you people should, you should find something that, that, that works for you. So that is absolutely excellent. Did you know that 95% of pregnant women are not getting their recommended daily intake of key omega-3s? Enter Ritual. Their prenatal contains 350 milligrams of eco-friendly vegan omega-3 DHA in every serving. One of the reasons I like Ritual is that it's a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable to not just their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. In addition to those omega-3 DHAs to support baby's brain development, Ritual also has choline and methylated folate to support baby's neural tube development. And the capsules feature a delayed release design to help make it gentle on an empty stomach. Why settle for a multivitamin you're not 100% sure about? Ritual was literally built on trust, so you know it's the real deal. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com forward slash Dr. Nicole. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women Prenatal to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash Dr. Nicole for 25% off. So you said that you were going to do an, you know, maybe epidural, maybe like you were open to it. Um, was there anything else that you particularly wanted for your birth? Yeah. So I definitely wanted the skin to skin, the delayed cord clamping. Of course, I had questions about now that my baby's going to be born with cleft lip and palate, is anything going to be different? Mm-hmm. And they basically just said they'd probably have like the NICU staff take a look at her, but maybe not. Right. Like it may not be necessary. They were like, maybe just we'll have them on standby to make sure, you know, her airway and everything like that. But they said, otherwise, it's going to be the exact same birth. So okay. there was really no difference okay. there. Okay. And I'm guessing they did prepare you at least for the feeding, maybe the feeding was going to be different. Yes. So um, that was that was disappointing, because I definitely wanted to breastfeed, Mm -hmm. I intended on breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. And the way the surgeon described it to me was, look, the lactation consultants are going to tell you that you can breastfeed, I'm going to tell you you can't. And he was just like, very honest about it. He's like, if it was just her lip, you probably would be able to. But because it's her palate, it's almost like even if she has that sucking reflex, which she did, 
she doesn't have the equipment. Mm -hmm. It's like he actually described it as imagine trying to suck through a straw that has a hole in it. You just can't do it. So I ended up pumping. I pumped exclusively for four months. I intended to go longer. Like my goal was six, but with getting back to work, it became hard. I started getting pressured to start traveling again. And it just became a little bit difficult, but I did want her to benefit from my breast milk. So I did. Gotcha. 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 Okay. So was there anything that you were particularly afraid or worried about for giving birth? Oh my gosh. Well, not so much the pain. I actually have a pretty high pain tolerance. Mm -hmm. I actually briefly was a law enforcement officer. I was a police officer and I had been through police training. I'd been through taser, pepper spray, like multiple things. (laughs) Oh yeah. So I wasn't really concerned about that. It was more like, I guess the pushing because I I thought my baby was going to be on the bigger side. She was measuring big. I was eight pounds, 10 ounces. My husband was eight and change. And I remember hearing that there's sometimes a genetic component to that. She ended up being eight too. Mm -hmm. I'm on the like more slender build side. So I was just like, oh, I was just going to be tough. Like, how am I going to do that? It was more pushing. And then with the epidural, my main reason that I was on the fence about getting one was, am I going to be able to feel how to push? Sure if I can't feel. And I was, that's what kind of also was like, well, let me try without it and see how it goes. Gotcha. Gotcha. So let's talk about how did your labor and birth go? So I was one of those people who was scheduled to be induced, Uh but my baby had other plans and came. (laughs) It was like, I'm not getting evicted. Here I am. (laughs) Because I was five days overdue. Uh I was scheduled to be induced. And I was basically, it was a Friday morning that I would have been scheduled to be induced Uh Friday, March 3rd. And I went on Thursday, they said, go ahead and come in on Thursday night and we'll start the process. And then they ended up calling me and saying, look, we don't have beds available. We'll call you when you come in on Thursday night to start the process. And so my mom was my doula and I'm going to use air quotes because she's not a doula. (laughs) She's not certified, but she was my support person. She's like, I'll be your doula. She's so she's a nurse. She's been a medical professional for years. She's had four babies. I'm like, sure, she knows what she's doing. Right. So between her and my husband, I had a really good support team. Okay. She was so excited that she had already headed over to the hospital early. And I told her, mom, they're supposed to call us, <laughs> you know, and she was already there. She had her cup of coffee and she's like, well, maybe it's ready. Let's just do it. And then we drove out there anyway. That was a bad idea. Mm. It was 35 minutes away. Oh. And we drove out there anyway, because she was so excited. She was already there. And they turned us away. They said, we don't have a bed for you. Right. We will call you. It's going to be several hours. Right. And so we went home. <laughs> they were like, we told you on the phone, girl. We don't I have know. <laughs> I wanted to kill my mom. <laughs> and so they sent us home and we were like, okay, let's just get some rest. At this point, it's probably like 930 at night. And about three hours later, just so just after midnight, I felt my first contraction. So while waiting for them to call me, I actually went into active labor. And I remember feeling like, all right, I think this is it. It's kind of a painful cramp. It ramped up pretty quickly Mm -hmm. because I remember after maybe about an hour or so, I was like, okay, they're coming in kind of quick. Let me start, like, let me time these. And at that point, it was about three to four minutes apart. Okay. So okay. pretty quick. Right. And so I labored at home for two hours and I didn't want to get there too early, but I was worried about the fast labor. Sure. When I tell you, like, my mom almost had myself and my brother in the car, okay. like it was bad. Right. So I said, you know what? It's a 35 minute drive. Let's just go ahead and head over. Right. I'm, I'm feeling like these are coming in pretty quick. And then when I told them, like, I'm back, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm in active labor now, right. so please admit me <laughs> as I'm signing forms through contractions. And I remember at triage, they said, 
you've only been in labor for two hours. And she just gave me this look like, why, why are you here? And then she checked me and she was like, oh, I'll be damned. You're out of four. (laughs) And she said, okay. And they started, they went ahead and admitted me right away to labor and delivery. And at that point it progressed pretty nicely. I did end up getting an epidural. I remember thinking to myself like, ah, these, this isn't too bad. I probably could go without it, but you know what? It was March. It was pollen season. I was miserable. Mm. I was so stuffed up. Gotcha. And I remember thinking, I can't breathe period. How am I going to breathe through this contraction? <laughs> like I need some help. Right. And so, um, I got the epidural at that point. I was six centimeters uh-huh. when I got the epidural. Okay. And, um, yeah, it, it, at that point it escalated pretty quickly my hardest thing was pushing. I pushed for an hour and a half and it was exactly what I thought. For your first baby and an eight pound baby. Mm -hmm. And I bad at all. Okay. Thank you. I I was like, Oh, that was rough. Well, I will tell you that it took me a while to get the hang of it. Mm -hmm. Even though I had an epidural, they let me like hang from a squat bar Uh and try, try to help bring the baby down. And then I pushed in different positions on my side mostly, but it took me a while to get the hang of it. I remember doing like the J breathing that I had read about, you know, breathing through it. And I can tell you that the only way I made any real progress Uh was what they call purple pushing, where you hold your breath Uh and bear down as hard as you can. And I remember the nurse telling me, you know, when I told you you were doing a good job before, that was a white lie. (laughs) That was a real push. (laughs) (laughs) She told me, she's like, keep doing what you're doing. Right, right. So yeah, by the end of it... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yep. No. And by the end of it, I had black and blue on my face. Oh. I mean, it was, I had a second degree tear. Okay. So, okay. but okay. honestly, while they were stitching me up, my beautiful baby was on my chest. It was a great moment. So I didn't even notice. Oh. Honestly, I was just, you know, so in love with her. Awesome. awesome. So they did do skin to skin. They did. They, they immediately okay. put her on my chest. Okay. Yes. Okay. And they did, they checked on her. They checked it like while she was on my chest. Yep. So it wasn't, it didn't interrupt anything. And I was so worried about everything. I got it. I, like I said, from the ultrasound, the 3d ultrasound, I did already have an idea of what her face would look like. So it didn't come as a shock. I will say that if I wasn't prepared, uh-huh. it would have been hard. You know, it would have been very hard because it took me time to process the guilt process, like that it wasn't me or anything Uh I did to prepare for it. Uh Because if I wasn't expecting it, it would have been hard. But because I was, I was like, Oh my gosh, my beautiful baby's here, you know, and it was, it was great. And I loved her. That's where it can be helpful to be prepared. Cause I can understand how that would be a shock if, um, if you didn't know that it was, Mm -hmm. it was coming and I should add, well, a couple questions. Did you want to be induced or had they recommended that, or was it just like, Hey, your five days past your due date or like, no. So this OB group made me put a date on a calendar said, if you go past your due date, we have to have a date on the calendar. And I said, okay, well, I wanted to give myself time to go into labor naturally. That was important to me. So I said, okay, well put me down for the latest date you're comfortable with and we'll go for that. And that was the day she came. Okay. And then you felt like the nurses and because I assume in the doctor, whoever was on call, you felt good about the care you received or how did you feel about the care you received in the hospital? Oh, yes. Oh, my gosh. The hospital staff was amazing. I will say yes. And the woman, the doctor who delivered my baby was absolutely great. I had never met her before Uh that day. I had not had her in the office, Uh but she did a fantastic job and she did a great job stitching me up. And then the, the nurses, they were all amazing. Awesome. They were That's very, good. very kind and sweet. And yeah, it was great. I honestly, that was a 
perfect experience for me. Good, 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 good. So then what happened with your daughter after birth? Let's talk about that. Yeah. So she, um, she had four surgeries between age three months and six months. So it was a lot. So she didn't have the first surgery until she was three months, three months. Yep. So in terms of her feeding, I will say, so they have, yep. Dr. Brown's bottles is what I use. Dr. Brown's special feeder bottles. And she did fine with it. So she, they did check in the hospital. They made sure that everything was okay with her eating. She was fine. So she was able to drink from that particular bottle. She was able to suck and she had the reflex and everything like that. There wasn't an issue with it. Um, so yeah, she was fine. Okay. She was completely fine with feeding. It, it really, it wasn't an issue at all. Could you see it in her mouth? Like when you looked in, could you see that? The oh opening? yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You could see if she opened her mouth and to cry or anything, you could see it going all the way back. Obviously it was just an open cavity right. on her face. Right. So yeah, it, I mean, yeah, it was pretty, it, yeah, it was out there. Did it freak you out at all? Like No, no, no. Because yeah, because I think at that point, like, because I had been so prepared, and and I had read about it, and I had looked at images, and I had processed it, I will say that I did go through like a grieving process, right? Because she was my first baby, Mm -hmm. you have this image in your head of a quote, perfect baby, this is what I envisioned my baby to look like. And she wasn't going to look like that. And I had to make peace with that. And so, you know, that had already come and gone. By the time she was on my chest, I was just like, wow, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Like it was because she was mine. She was mine. And that was the amazing to meet the little baby that had been kicking inside me for so long. And it was just nothing but love. Uh So it wasn't shocking. It wasn't upsetting. I mean, if anything, I was just looking forward to the surgeries, but also not because we'll get into that. But that was very, very tough for me, but worse for me than her. Gotcha. So then when you were, were there ever any difficulties or concerns when you like, if you ever took her out in public, did people like stare or did people like ask questions or anything like that? Yeah. So I didn't, I would say in the beginning, I honestly, the first three months, I didn't take her out very much. I'm trying to think we were mostly home trying to get the hang of everything. We Mm -hmm. had family visiting the house. I took her around like the neighborhood, like, you know, on walks and stuff. But I feel like honestly, the first few months, I didn't really take her out much. Yeah, I, I, we didn't take our kids out either. I mean, either. One, I don't think so don't in the want. very beginning. Yeah, yeah yes. I don't. So not a lot of people saw I will say that like when I did like share photos of her, uh-huh. I did it from her quote, good side. Okay. So because that was something that I did want to keep private, sure. a little bit more personal. I said, you know what, in the age of social media, do I want my daughter to be like, Mom, why did you share all these photos gotcha. of me? you know, with everyone when yeah. I was like before my surgery. Right. right. So right. I just, you know, out of respect for her, I said, let me like keep that private and just share with family and that kind of thing. Hey, so you made it this far in the episode and I'm thinking it's because you enjoyed this podcast. Well, if that's the case, then I have a favorite to ask. Creating and producing the All About Pregnancy into Birth podcast has been one of the greatest joys of my life. I'm so grateful to have each and every one of you on this journey with me. Your support and engagement means the world to me, and it's what helps keep this podcast going. But here's the thing. Producing a podcast involves time, effort, and resources from recording equipment to an editor, hosting fees, coordinating guests, countless hours spent researching and crafting content. It all adds up. 
and that's where I could use your support. I've never wanted to turn all about pregnancy and birth into a paywall. I want it to remain accessible to everyone. That's why I've set up a way for you to support the show financially if you're able and willing. If this podcast has helped you during your pregnancy, your birth, or your life, I'm asking you to consider contributing to the show. Your support will help cover production and team costs and ensure that I can continue delivering the episodes you love. So in the month of March, head to drnicolerankins.com forward slash support and contribute whatever you can. Your support, no matter how big or small, makes a significant impact. It helps us continue delivering high quality content and ensures the future of all about pregnancy and birth. Again, that's drnicolerankins.com forward slash support. Thank you so much for being part of the All About Pregnancy and Birth community. Now back to the show. So then you said she's had four surgeries. Yes. Okay, so why, like, how have that, like... How have those gone? Why four surgeries? How much time in the hospital? I'm curious about all that. Yeah. So um, the first step was repairing the lip and that was a three-step process. So basically the first thing they did was they took an impression of her mouth and Mm -hmm. she had to be completely knocked out for that. They just did a first and like almost like a dental impression. Then the second thing they did was they put in an appliance, almost like a retainer. And what that did was it prepared her mouth. It closed her gum line to just bring it together and make it a little bit easier for the surgery. And she had to wear that for two weeks. It was almost like baby braces. That's what it looked like. And then, um, then they went ahead and repaired her lip. And this was, yeah, this was about the three month mark, maybe a little past three months. And they repaired her lip and her nose. So she sometimes with a uh, cleft lip will usually oftentimes you get like a flattened nostril. Uh, So her nose was repaired as well. And she had to wear a nasal retainer for months after that to kind of keep the shape. So every night, so first it was like all the time and then it, it was just nice okay. for a while. Okay. And then the last step was the palate repair. And that was when she was six months old. And that's when they did go ahead and um, close the gap, just all that, that open cavity in the roof of her mouth. Okay. And that's completely repaired now. So now when she opens her mouth, you don't see anything. It's just like tissue. Okay. So it's gone. Okay. It's all fixed. And did they tell you in the beginning that they anticipated it was going to be a multi-step yes. process? Oh, yeah. prepared for that? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yep. I was prepared that it was going to be a multi-step process. The surgeon went through all of that with me. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then does she have to have any more surgeries? So not at this time. She is all done in the sense that everything has been fixed and repaired. Mm-hmm. But now it's a matter of as she grows, her face can continue to mature and change. So they said they might do a touch-up before she goes to school, like about kindergarten, first grade, if she needs like a touch-up. Okay. And then adolescence, they said she might want like, I don't want to say a nose job, but kind of, okay. you know, if she's when she's a little older, sure. just because it might, you know, as her face is repairing and changing it, it might need just more touch ups, okay. but she's done for the time being. Okay. Okay. And her feeding's fine and all of the yes. milestones and things were good. Oh yeah. No. So she, I, I, I guess I'll backtrack. Yeah. So this condition is sometimes related to another genetic abnormality. And so they did recommend we do genetic testing, which we did. And thankfully, there was nothing else wrong. So it was just an isolated cleft lip and palate, Mm -hmm. but she was perfectly healthy otherwise. So, yep. So that was good. Awesome. Perfect. So it sounds like things went like as like 
as well as could be expected is like no big major hurdles or anything. No, I mean, it definitely was hard. I will say like when they watching them take my three month old to the operating room was extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. Like I just I just every time had a box of tissues and it didn't really get easier, even though it was a four step every time it was hard. And then the recovery was hard because obviously, well, that was when feeding was an issue, right? It's her mouth. So her mouth was in pain. When you're like, how much oxycodone do I need to give my infant? Like my tiny baby, it's hard. It's just hard because they're in that much pain. It's very, very, very difficult. So the recovery was rough, but it was usually only, I'd say about a week or so. But yeah, there was definitely like force feeding with a squirt bottle. Like you're just trying to get as much as you can get because she's not going to willingly take the bottle, but she's got to eat. So yeah, that was hard, okay. you know, okay. so did she have to stay in the hospital after her surgeries or was she? Yes. Home? Okay. Yeah. Each time she had to stay, but it was only one night. So they watched her for one night. Mm-hmm. And the, basically what they said was they had to ensure that she could take half her bottle. And if she took half, even if it's not willingly, as long as she was able to get down half her normal feeding, mm-hmm. they would discharge us. Okay. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. So they just kind of monitored to make sure she could eat. Right. Right. And then they're like, you, you got it parents. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Here we go. And then, yeah. So I definitely, my, my, uh, work, my company was great too, because they gave me some time off because I, I work full time and I've been working full time this whole time, but they gave me some time off to help her with her recovery. Cause it was hard. It was very, very hard yeah. to focus yeah. on anything else. I can, I can imagine I can, especially having to like essentially almost force feed your child. Yes. Oh gosh. Yes. If anyone's ever had to do that, it is painful. It is very painful. Yeah. 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 And knowing that they're in pain and there's not really a whole lot. I mean, you do what you can, but it's just, it's, I'm sure it's a lot. Oh yeah. And everyone just kept telling me over and over again. I heard she's not going to remember any of this, which is like, I will, which is true. I know. Right. I know. And they're always like, it's it's harder on you. I'm like, yeah, that's probably true, but still. (laughs) So when you look back, is there anything that you wish you would have known or about things? Hmm. That's a good question. I mean, no, I feel like they prepared me as much as they could have. I, especially the surgeon, like I said, meeting with him beforehand was great. Mm -hmm. The only, now the only questions going forward is as we follow her into adolescence, what's going to happen next? Because again, with the palate, hearing, speech, the way her teeth come in, uh, all of that is in question now it. because it's like, and it's a wait and see, Okay, you know, it's, it's all across the board. Like there are some severe cases. There are some not so severe cases. It's really, you know, up in the air. Got so it. I guess at this point, it's more like, you know, it'd be nice to know uh-huh. and predict, you know, how is this going to be? I'm worried that, you know, of course with her in school, like you mentioned, oh, getting looks, I get looks now. Um, I mean, she's a beautiful baby. I can share pictures and stuff, but like, she, you know, she has a little bit of a scar and, you know, and it is what it is. And they said it'll fade in time, Mm -hmm. but I've gotten mostly like toddlers will be like, "Uh oh, boo boo, Uh, you know, looking at her face and like, they don't know any better, but it's like, oh, at some point that's going to register with my daughter. She's too young to understand, but at some point she is going to hear these comments and I'm already worried about that, but it's taking it one day at a time and not getting too worried about the future and what's going to happen, but just as things kind of arise. Gotcha. Gotcha. So then you just have to keep a close eye and like, I mean, I guess, do they do like speech therapy, like evaluations? I mean, you're probably not even there yet, but, or is that the things that are coming? 
Yeah. Yep. So we did meet with a whole team of people. Um, and so they basically said they're going to follow her annually. So once okay. a year, they're going to at least once a year, they're going to meet with her and assess. They did notice she has some fluid in her ears, which they're going to have to watch. They said that that's pretty normal, but it's something that they're just going to have to watch um, to see because that could affect her hearing and her speech and the way her teeth are coming in and everything. So orthodontists are going to be following her. But it's more like once a year, she's okay. going to go through like a full kind of battery of tests and evaluation. Got it. And they'll be working with her as she grows. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Uh, has this influenced your thoughts about having any more children? Well, I always planned on multiple. So that has not changed. Okay. That has not changed. <laughs> no, I definitely want more. Just not yet. Gotcha. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> just like, just give me a minute. Yes. Yes. Okay. yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then as we wrap up, what is what would be your favorite piece of advice that you would give to an expectant mom or expectant family? Uh, I would say to... I mean, this may not be the best advice, but expect the unexpected. Mm -hmm. You know, you can do everything right on paper. You can check all the boxes and sometimes life just throws you a curveball yeah. and you have to know when to accept what you can't control and, and make the best of it. I will say that my faith really got me through mm -hmm. this time. You know, it was a time where some people may turn away and say, you know, God, why would you do this to me? And I, instead, I went closer to him and said, God, I trust the plan that you have for my family. Mm. I trust what you, you know, I, I put my faith in you, help me get through this dark time. Right. And I really, really leaned into that. Mm. So I would just say, you know, don't let it steal your joy to sure. anyone out there who is dealing with, you know, unexpected and scary diagnoses in pregnancy. Don't let it steal your joy. Yeah. It's going to be okay. Yeah. And babies are a blessing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. So where can women connect with you? You can say nowhere if you want. No, honestly, I, I, the main reason I came on this podcast mm -hmm. was to share my story, but it, like you said, it's really Charlotte's story. Um, and just to be a listening ear, if there's anybody who does want to reach out to me, if they're going through something similar, whether or not with cleft lip and palate. But it, yeah, again, if you just got an unexpected and scary diagnosis and you want to talk, you know, I'm here. I'm on Instagram at Katie Brady 10, which is C-A-I-T-Y-B-R-A-D-Y 10 or Facebook, Caitlin Brady, you can find me. Okay, perfect. And we will link that in the show notes. Well, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and sharing your story. This is really, really important for people to hear and, and talk about. And I'm just, I'm so glad you reached out. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you're having me. Wasn't that a great episode? I really appreciate Caitlin coming on to share her story about having a baby with a cleft lip and palate. Now, after every episode, when I have a guest on, I do something called Dr. Nicole's Notes, where I talk about my top takeaways from the conversation. Here are my Dr. Nicole's Notes from my conversation with Caitlin. Number one, most congenital conditions are not genetic. A lot of people think, oh my goodness, this didn't run in my family. Why did this happen? When in actuality, most of these things do not run in families. Yes, having something does increase the chances of having it again, but most often it's going to be something that's spontaneous and not related to a genetic condition. Second thing I want to tell you is that you can do everything right and things can still happen. Caitlin did everything right. She prepared for pregnancy. She planned it. She was taking care of herself, all of those things. And she still had this thing happen. The reality is that life is just unfair like that sometimes, that you can do everything right 
and things still happen. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't overcome those things or that you can't manage those things. In fact, you can do that quite well, as Caitlin demonstrated. But please don't beat yourself up because the reality is that life just sometimes lifes, okay? And you can do everything right and things will still unfortunately happen. That can be during your pregnancy, that can be during your labor, that can be during your birth, that can be during your life. All right, next thing, ultrasound and genetic testing are great to help you see your baby, help you know that everything is going well with your baby. But one of the great things about ultrasound and genetic testing is that they can really help you be prepared if something is discovered. Some conditions may require that you need to give birth at a different hospital that has more resources to accommodate your baby's needs. Not all hospitals have the same level of resources to take care of babies that have concerns after birth. It may mean that you're able to see specialists during pregnancy and you can better prepare yourself for what to expect when you have a baby that's going to be born with some conditions. So those are some of the things and reasons why ultrasound and genetic testing can be really, really helpful to help plan appropriately if we notice any things that pop up during those tests and during those exams. And then the last thing I want to say is about social media. I have this love-hate relationship with social media where it's great to reach out to people and to connect to people, but can also be a rabbit hole of terrible information and all of those things. And just, you know, a place where people can have depression, anxiety, and comparisonitis and all of those things. But it really can be a great place to connect with other people who are going through similar things as you. And that can be really, really helpful and help you not feel so alone. So just make sure you're using social media in a way that is intentional, that helps you to connect to people that may be going through things that are similar to you. It may help you experience gratitude because maybe you realize that things aren't as bad as you realize. So just be intentional about the way you use social media and do so in a way that actually enhances your life and not detracts from your life. All right, so there you have it. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening to me right now. Leave a review in Apple Podcast. I really appreciate you doing that there. It helps other women to find the show, helps the show to grow. And do check out my free birth plan class, Make a Birth Plan the Right Way. You can check it out at drnicolerankins.com forward slash birth plan. I promise you, you will not regret it. So that's it for this episode. Do come on back next week and remember that you deserve a beautiful pregnancy and birth. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.